our identity as, as humans is shaped in a lot of ways by our fathers. Studies show that our dads are where we get our identity. And uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating when you look in, to look into the studies and see the information. It's pretty astounding. Our dads are where we learn how to take risks. It's where we get our self-worth. It's where we learn what it means to uh, be creative, how to um, be uh, really competitive. Our dads teach us a lot about life. So it's no wonder that in our society we have a bit of a crisis on our hands, an identity crisis. It's no wonder that the breakdown of the family is one of the biggest issues we see in America. And studies are astounding. Studies even say that about 50% of families now, uh, kids and families, 50% will grow up in a single-parent household at least one point in their life. That's a lot. And in fact, in our backyard, Cleveland is the highest percentage of single-parent, of the, any major city, single-parent, 71% of homes are si- single-parents in Cleveland. It's astounding. And I understand there's lots of stories, and if you're a single parent, I'm not here to shame you. Life is hard, and I know there's a lot going on. But when you look at the big picture, it says a lot. Because the thing is, often, that means dad's not around. Because most of the time, single parents mean single moms. Our dads teach us a lot about who we are, so it's no wonder we have a crisis on our hands. But that, the, the same is true of our Heavenly Father, and that's the beauty of what I want to, to dig into today. Our Heavenly Father, what He says about us, impacts our spiritual identity. Which again, if you think about it, is a, a lot of the reasons why there's a bit of an identity crisis in our culture. Because we all have a, God, a God-shaped hole, a sized hole in our hearts that we're trying to fill the as humans, that's how we're wired. We're trying to fill that hole in our hearts. And so it's no wonder that we see people who are confused. We see gender dysphoria. We, we see gender issues, and, and your gender identity is like the number one thing that people hold to in, in our culture. It's like it's the biggest thing that, that we struggle with. It's no wonder that in our society and in our culture, we see people Overworking, we see alcoholism, we see addiction, we see things that truly, it's just people filling, trying to fill a God-shaped hole in their heart. It's no wonder that we have a, a bit of an identity crisis on our hands. So we're going to talk about identity today. We're going to look at what does God say that I am, because the Father, just like fathers in general, the Father in heaven impacts our identity and who we are. It impacts who we are in Christ. It impacts on a deeper level our identity. So what does God say about us? What does he think of us when he looks at us? What does he say our identity is? And that's what we're going to look at as we dig into the scripture today. We're going to be continuing in Luke. We're going to be in Luke 3. So you can turn there in your Bibles in Luke 3. We're, can, we're walking through this series called Prep Time. And, and as we're wrapping this up, we're actually wrapping up the series today. 
uh, we're, we're talking about this, this idea that Jesus was prepped or preparing for ministry. Pastor Jim has been walking us through what it looked like for John the Baptist to come and prepare the way, and he's been baptizing people along the Jordan River. He's been baptizing them. People have been coming and getting baptized. And so now Jesus has shown up on the scene today. This is the first time we see Christ as an adult. Remember last time Jesus was, was in, in a story that we looked at, it was when he was a boy in the temple and he was lost. Well, now here's Jesus again. He's about 30 years old. I'm 30 years old, so this is pretty humbling for me to think about. that Jesus was my age when he started his ministry. So here we are. Jesus steps in on the scene where, where John is baptizing people. He's talking about this coming Messiah. He's talking about this coming lamb, this king that's coming to bring the kingdom. And now the king has arrived. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to take a look, and we're going to read this passage together. So go ahead, stand with me, and we're going to be looking in um, Luke 3. Luke 3, starting in verse 21, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You can have a seat. So, again, we see Jesus. He steps on the scene, and he's getting ready to be baptized. So, we're going to dig into his baptism. We're going to see that Jesus' baptism reveals truth about himself. We're going to dig into the, some of these truths that are evident in Scripture that we learn about Jesus himself in his baptism. Jesus has come. He's come down. He's now stepped into the water to be baptized. And this incredible event happens. We see the Father. We see the Holy Spirit. And we see the Son all come right there in the midst of this story that's taking place right in the Jordan River. So let's dig in. Let's take a look. Let's see what we learn. We see that there are truths that are revealed about his humanity. We see Jesus' humanity, and, and some amazing things are revealed. First of all, Jesus physically steps into the water. He literally comes among the people. Picture a big crowd of people crowded around. They've been listening for days and days, listening to John teach. And now he's come, he's stepped in, and he's, he's among the people. These people were receiving a baptism of repentance. Now, Jesus didn't need to be, he didn't need to repent of anything. He's never sinned, and he's not a sinner. So why was he there? Why was Jesus being baptized? Well, as we, as we uncover this, I think there's some really profound reasons why. Jesus was there among the people. He was identifying with the people. And that's important for us. It's way more important for us to understand than it was for them back then because think about it. They didn't doubt that he was a human. They knew he was a human. They saw him, they saw him play when he was a kid. They ate meals with him. They talked to him. It would be like me looking at you, Dennis, and being like, wow, you're a human. You're like, well, yeah, duh. I mean, <laughs> duh, right? It's, it was so obvious for them. But for us, it's not obvious. We often focus so much on him as, as God, and he is, rightfully so. But we miss the fact that he was a living, breathing human. He was among the people. He came among the people. And he came to rescue us as a human. He came as the sacrifice as a human. He lived the human life and the human experience 
He understood what life was like. He had loved ones that died. He experienced pain. He saw the life that people were living, and he understood what it was like to be on earth as a human. That's the beauty of the God-man Jesus. That's the beauty of him being a human. So Jesus literally steps in. He steps into the water, and something pretty amazing happens. Uh, There's a connection between John and the priests. John was actually of the priestly line. This is a pretty cool connection. He was of the line of Aaron, of the priests, and you know what the priest's job was in the Old Testament? It was to present the sacrifice of the people to God. It was literally to present the sacrifice. So now here's Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, stepping into the water for John to present to the people and to the Lord. How cool is that? God is so good about those details, isn't he? That this this man from the line of Aaron, from the priestly line, is here to say, behold. He literally says it. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To me, when that, that was the first, this week was the first time I realized that. And when I studied that and when I read that verse, behold, it has a whole new meaning when you think about the priests presenting the sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was physically there. He was identifying himself as a human. He was there to be physically baptized among the people. He's just waiting in line like everybody else because he was a person. He was identifying. He wanted to identify with us as sinful humans who are experiencing this human experience on earth. And that's why, that's why he willingly said, I'm going to be baptized among the people. He could have easily said, I'm going to go off to the side. John, come on over here. Let's, let's not make a big deal about it. He says, no, I'm going to step in right where the people are. So we learn things that are revealed about his humanity. We also learn things that are revealed about his deity. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is literally God. And so when we, what we see unfold is an incredible uh, this incredible experience where he steps in and the Father speaks and the Spirit comes. But first, let's talk about John. John was kind of uncomfortable at first. Jesus steps in. He realizes who he was. He's been talking about this coming Messiah. That's the guy I've been talking about. I've been talking about this king and this, this God that's coming, and he's been talking about it. He's been talking about it. He's been teaching about it. He's been baptizing about it. He's been waiting. His whole life has been this, this voice crying out in the wilderness, and now here he is. He's literally come, and he steps in the water, and he's like, all right, John, baptize me. And I love what, what it says in, in Matthew. In Matthew 3, 13, or 3, 14, it says, But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? He literally says, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. This is, should be the other way around. You should be baptizing me. Why are you coming to me? Why are you asking me to be baptized by me? And, but Jesus insists. He says, no, listen, this, this, there's, there's something bigger going on here. Baptize me. Baptize me, John. And I can only imagine, just put yourself in John's shoes. He must have been so humbled. But the, the, the God who created the water. And if you read in first John, if you read John 1, and if you read in Colossians, you learn that Jesus created everything. Through him, all things were created. So the, the God who created the Jordan River, who created John, is now asking to be baptized by him in that river. It's pretty, uh, pretty uh, overwhelming if you're asking me, if you're John. 
So Jesus steps in. He's getting ready to be baptized, and an incredible, incredible event takes place. Take a look again. I, it, we're going to dig into this. We're, we're going to look in, uh, again, take a look at verse 21 and 22. We see this, that the, the Spirit descends on Jesus as he's praying. It says that he's praying as, he, as he's baptized, and he comes up out of the water in this prayerful worship experience. He comes up out of the water, and the dove, the Holy Spirit as a dove, he descends down from heaven and lands on Jesus. It's kind of a crazy thing, and it's, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around what's going on, but I want to uh, maybe talk about some of the truths that we find from Scripture. Jesus is part of the Trinity, made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, a three-in-one triune God. And so we see a picture where all three members of the Trinity are present the Holy Spirit descends as a dove, and it signifies a commissioning for Jesus. He literally lands on Jesus and says, I am commissioning you for ministry. And this is the start of Christ's ministry up to this point. He lands on him and says, from this point on, the Holy Spirit now is going to guide him through his ministry. And we see all throughout his ministry that the Spirit is guiding him. So the Spirit descends. So now there's the Son and the Spirit. And then, literally says, a voice from heaven spoke. And I love what it says. It says, you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. The, the, the father, his voice comes down from heaven, and he is literally speaking. Here's something that's pretty crazy to think about. Jesus hadn't done anything yet for his ministry. His ministry hadn't started yet. He hadn't changed water into wine. He hadn't performed any miracles. Jesus hadn't even died on the cross. He hadn't fulfilled the, the, his calling on his life to, to rescue sinners. He hadn't risen from the dead. He hadn't ascended into heaven. Jesus, by all rights, hasn't done anything that we read about in Scripture yet. This is just the start. And yet, what does God do when he steps in? He says, I love you. You are my son, and I am pleased. I am well pleased because of who he was not what he had done. Because of who Jesus was, that he was God, that he was the second member of the Trinity, that he was the, the beloved son, that he was the Savior, the Messiah, who he was, not what he had done. That's so important to understand. Because then Jesus lives that out, right, in his life. He, he fulfills who he is. But Jesus, God is focusing, the Father is saying, I am speaking out who you are. You are my loved son. You are my son, and I am pleased with you. So let's take that a step further. Jesus' baptism reveals truth about us. Jesus' baptism reveals truth about us, and let me explain why. This is my, one of my absolute favorite verses. It's in Galatians, and I want to encourage you, turn there in your Bibles if you have a hard copy. Galatians 2.20, and take a pen from the, the back of the chair in front of you, take a highlighter, I don't know, take paint, a sharpie, whatever you got, and, I, and mark this in your Bible. It is worth having this marked if it's not already. Galatians 2.20, it is a powerful verse. Let's take a look at it. Galatians 2.20, and it says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means literally that, that, that Jesus came and he died and he was crucified and he was put in the grave. And guess what? If we are in Christ, we were brought to the grave with him. And when Jesus rose, he left us there and we rose with him and were given new life and a new identity in him. So literally, we are, we are put in the grave, we are dead, and God leaves us there and says, now you are made new, and you are given life, and that life comes through Jesus Christ. This is so important. It literally says, and I no longer live, but what Christ lives in me. Our identity has been changed as believers. That is is what God says about us. Our identity, your identity, is in Jesus, and that is so important. Write that down. Mark it down. Remember that. Get a tattoo of that. Whatever it takes, your identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in what the world says. It's not in what your flesh says. It's not in what Satan says. It is in Jesus. And that to change our lives. So let's go back. Let's take a look at this story. Let's plug ourselves in because here is the beauty of this. If we are in Christ and our identity in Christ, that means what God says about Christ, he says about us. That means that God is pleased with you. God is fully pleased with you. Because of who you are not what you've done. That means that God, he literally looks down, and, and you could sub your name, he says, Charlie, you are my son, and I love you, and I am pleased with you. It means Joe. Man, you are my son. I love you. I take delight in you. The word to be pleased with, another way to translate it is, I take delight or be delighted in. It literally, it, it means Debbie. You are my daughter, and I love you, and I am pleased with you. Let's sub in our name, because if we truly believe Galatians, if we truly believe that now our new identity is in Christ, that truly means that God has changed who we are. And that means that when God looks at us, he is fully pleased with us. God is pleased with you. How many of us need to hear that today? Because don't we fall into this trap and, and we let an identity crisis almost happen in our own hearts? We start doubting that God could truly love us. We start doubting that he truly, what he truly thinks of us. The reality is I can never do enough to measure up, even though I may try. And I can never do enough to mess it up either. I think we we'll probably fall on one side or the other. Either we're, we're caught in this rhythm of trying to measure up. We're caught in this rhythm of trying to, you know, not mess it up too much. And we, and we, and we fall in one of those two traps. It kind of reminds me, honestly, of when I was a basketball player, when I was a freshman trying out for the team. And, and I remember really the first, one of the first steps was uh, open gyms. And open gyms are when the coach are there, but they're not really, they're just watching. And I remember showing up to open gyms as a freshman like, I'm, you know, new in high school. I'm getting excited for basketball, and I'm, and so it's this open gym, and you know, you, you know that feeling when you're playing, you make a good play, and you just, you hope your coach is watching, right? It's like, oh man, and you're like, coach, yeah, did you catch that? It's like, yeah, coach, you're watching, like, you, you do another play, make a great defensive stop, or do, grab a great rebound. You're just, you're just being aggressive, and you're making all the great plays, and you're constantly looking over your shoulder, 
that look over your shoulder feeling, hoping that the coach is watching. Coach, did you see that one? Did you see that one? Or on the flip side, you start making bad plays. In the same way you're looking over your shoulder like, Coach, did you, did you catch that one? <laughs> coach, did you mi- hope you were checking your phone and didn't catch that one, Coach. <laughs> we, we often flip it, but it's the same idea of we're looking over our shoulder, seeing what the coach is seeing, right? We're hoping that he didn't catch that one, or, or I hope I saw one I did that good. How many of us fall into the trap of you and God that way? It's like, God, God, are you watching? You know, I, I just, see all that money I just gave to the church? I, I'm trying to earn. I'm trying to show you that I'm committed. I go to church every Sunday. God, God, are you watching? God, are you watching? God, are you watching uh, how I'm serving people? God, are you watching how I'm trying not to sin? I, I'm trying to, to show that and, and make you pleased with me. God, are you watching? Or on the flip side, we literally are like, God, I hope you're checking your phone on that one. <laughs> God, God, I hope you didn't, didn't see when that happened last night. You know, I was tired this weekend. Hopefully, hopefully you missed that one. And we start living our life literally like this. We literally start, start living our life looking over our shoulders, constantly wondering what God's going to do. We often fall in this trap of thinking that God is, the, is a father with a baseball bat, and he's just watching, he's waiting, and every time we step out of line, whack, whack, just, just ready for us, right? We often view like, God, if you step out of line, I'm, I'm, God's going to punish us. He's going to bring judgment. I can't mess up. I have to keep doing so much good to show myself that I love him and prove it to him, and, and I have to, to please him, and, 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 and he's just standing there. He's ready to, to whip me back into shape. That is a sick view of God because here's the reality, and here's what we learn in Scripture. God took that punishment and applied it to Christ on the cross. He took the wrath that we were due and took it and applied it to Jesus Christ on the cross. Don't lose sight of that truth. And this is something else that dawned on me this week. You know, God is outside of time and space. He created creation. He's out time and time, outside of time and space. So that means he views all of sin outside of time and space. So that literally means that he is able to look at all sin all at once. The sins that will happen, that, that happened in the past, and the sins that will happen. He literally looks at all of sin, and he literally goes, all right. He picks it all up and literally applied it to Christ on the cross all at once. That means that any sin that was done in the past and any sin you will do in the future has already been paid for with a price. And that means that if you are in Jesus, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. God is pleased with you. And he can't be more pleased with you. He is already fully pleased with you. That is a freeing truth. That is a freeing truth that I think it's important for us to just revel in, to just sit in. Because if you're like me, so often what, what happens is we always add a caveat. Yeah, but you need to be like living hard. For, you need to make sure that you're living for Jesus. You need to make sure you're, you're, you're doing all these things for God and all these things. That is so true, I agree. But what happens is we skip this beautiful truth to go on to the, what do I need to be doing? What do I need to be doing more for God? That naturally comes from a place where we understand this truth, that our identity is in Jesus. God is fully pleased with you. Jesus' baptism is so much more than him just being baptized. It's showing how the God, the Father, views the Son and then how then he views us. God is pleased. He is fully in love with you. He can't be more pleased. There's nothing you could do to make him more pleased with you. And there's nothing you could do to lose that either. You can't out, out-sin God's grace. You can't out-sin the love. It's already been paid for. It's already been paid for. That's, that, 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 that 
sentence, that jail sentence has already been served. Jesus paid for it on the cross. That should free us. That should give us real freedom in our life. Jesus is literally saying, you are a child of God, not because of you, but because of me. That's what he's saying. Let's, let's continue looking at how this story unfolds in, in, in this powerful passage. So Luke, in 3, verse 23, take a look here. In verse 23, it literally says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Let's, let's stop there. I want to encourage you to look through the whole genealogy, and we're not going to read all the names here today, mainly because I, don't, I want to save my own embarrassment. <laughs> I had a professor once told me, just fake it and no one will know. And so usually when I, if I read the names, I just fake it. And, but I think a couple of you will probably know. It's pretty bad. So I want to encourage you to read it. Um, but we're going to look at a couple of the names. First of all, it says, Jesus is the son or the thought of the son of Joseph. Why does Luke put the genealogy of Christ here in this, in this section? Well, I think he's trying to pull from something that, that, we're, that, we're, that we're just tapping into, and that's the, the picture of Jesus is the son of God, but Jesus also is the son of man, or as a human. And so he shows that he was part, because we, all, we understand that Jesus, or Mary was the mother of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came upon her, and then she um, had Jesus. He, he was born to Mary. But Joseph was still his earthly father and fulfilled that role. And so Joseph's earthly line represented the inheritance or the earthly line of Christ. And so we see this beautiful picture of this genealogy mapped out right here, mapped out in God's word. But I want to look first. It says, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And then the very last, very last phrase in the genealogy says that he, it's, what does it say in verse um, right here in the verse 38, it says, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is an interesting connection here. Adam is considered the son of God here. It's in, he's the first man. And, and this shouldn't be lost on us. This is an incredible truth, truth for us to work through and sort through. Why does he mention the line of Joseph, the line of Adam for Christ's Baptism, why is that here? It's because of this. It's this, this idea of the first and second Adam. See, Adam came into the world, and with him he brought sin. He brought chaos. He brought pain. He brought eternal separation from God. Adam came as a perfect man and failed. He failed miserably, and we all have sin natures and struggle with sin. Thank, we, can, we can thank Adam for that. The world has been put into chaos because of Adam's sin. But there's a second Adam who has come. Look at this verse in, in, in Romans. And this is in Romans 5. And this is such a powerful, powerful passage. So in, in Romans 5, and um, starting, in, and I'm going to read uh, verse 17. Um, Romans 5, 17. And uh, it says this. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? 
See this picture of Christ? Jesus came to right the wrong that Adam caused. Jesus had to be a human, had to come and be man because Adam was a man and messed it up. And now Jesus comes and says, I'm the second Adam who has come to fix what is broken. I want to challenge you. Read, yeah, I said Galatians, you have some homework. Galatians 2.20, read that. It's also our, in our, this week's devotions. And if you're part of the church devotions, pretty cool. Galatians 2.20, that's a little plug for the devotions. You're welcome, Clay. <laughs> also, <laughs> I want to encourage you to read Romans. Read Romans 5, starting in verse 12, and walk through the death through Adam, life through Christ. It is a powerful picture comparing on one side Adam who brought death, on the other side Christ who brings life. And so here's Jesus being baptized among sinners, identifying with sinners, showing that he's part of the Trinity, showing that he identifies with us. And he's literally there saying, listen, God is pleased with me. I am a human. I came as a human because I want to teach something profound. Jesus shows us that we can be human and fully loved at the same time. Jesus reveals to us that we can embrace the love that God has for us as humans. So often we link in our identity human and sin. We just assume that those two go together, that they're almost like synonyms. Like human equals sin. Sin equals human. That's not how it was intended. It was intended that we would live sinless lives. And guess what? When we're in heaven, guess what we're going to be? Human. We're not going to become something else. We're literally going to be human in the purest sense. So Jesus, in a way, and I said this a few weeks ago when I preached, was more human in a lot of ways than we are because he didn't have sin in his life. His brain wasn't crippled by a sin nature. He had access to his body as a human the way it was intended. That is so profound. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but God loves you as the human that you are. God created you uniquely as a human. And, and the human being that you are is fully loved by God. Just hold on to that truth. Hold on to that and realize that, that as he came, as we see in Romans, as he came to be purely human, he's trying to show us what it looks like to be purely human once again. To let him define our identity. To have our identity tied closely to Jesus. There's another cool thing that happens in the baptism. We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit, and they come down for a unifying experience. Here is something that's so pretty cool about God. God has existed. He's always existed. And before the creation of the world, he always existed. And so as he's existing, he's existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in perfect communion, perfect relationship together. They weren't lonely because they had each other. So they had this perfect unifying communion together. They truly lived together. They enjoyed what it meant to be God together. God didn't need us because he was lonely. That's a really important truth. God doesn't say, I'm lonely, so I wanted to create humans. I'm lonely, so I want you to come to heaven. God's not lonely, but yet he still loves us and still wants us. And so if you picture it, it's like God, he's in, they're in this, this holy huddle. Father, 
Son, Holy Spirit, huddled together. They're having a great time. It's literally this, this beautiful picture of, of communion and unity, and they're huddled together. And, and it's this the snapshot we get in the baptism where Jesus is praying, and he experiences some of that unity and that communion once again, that sweet communion that he must have missed because it says that Jesus humbled himself when he came to earth. You have to wonder what he must have missed what it was like in heaven, right? Man, he, he, was, he was away. He, he stepped away from his throne to rescue us. So he has this beautiful moment. So, so this is a beautiful picture for us as Christians that now this huddle has been opened up and he welcomes us into it. He says, through Jesus Christ, you can have this beauty of this beautiful communion too. You can come in and be part of what's going on here. You can be part of this unifying, beautiful relationship found within the Trinity. We can be unified with Christ. We can be tied in and have a relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And now we have this beautiful communion with God because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done, and because of who he is. God says, I am pleased with you, Jesus, because of who you are. He's pleased with him because of who he is not what he's done. God, God is pleased with you because of who you are, not what you've done. God loves you fully. God couldn't love you more because of Jesus. That's so important for us to hold on to. You know, we talked about fathers at the beginning, and this is an interesting thing for me to think about. Fatherhood has taught me a lot about God's love for me. As a father, I was, told, I was told actually a long time ago by a mentor, well, just wait till you're a dad. You'll begin to understand God's love for you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, can't, that can't be true until I had my son Miles. And then I had my son Jude, and then I had my daughter May, and now I have these beautiful children that I literally look at and say, I would do anything for you. I would die for you. I would live my life for you. And the beauty of that is that is just a fraction of the Father's love for us. That is a fraction, but it's a beautiful piece. Just think about the way you love your kids, the way you love your children and are so pleased with them for who they are. God is pleased with you because you are connected to the Son, because you are united with Christ. Because your identity is Jesus' identity. So when Christ is baptized, when Christ goes through this incredible experience unifying with the Trinity, it unites us. So I, I want to leave you with this thought. I want to leave you with this, this powerful passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. And I just want you, just where you are, I want you to just listen to these words that are true about you. They're true about who you are in Jesus, not because of what you've done to try to please God, but because you are already fully pleased by God. God is fully pleased. He's pleased with you and loves you because of Jesus. Now, this is true of you, and I'm going to try to get through it without crying. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Let me, let me read that again. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise be to God. I'm so thankful that my identity is not connected to what I do and how I earn God's love and how I try to please him. My identity is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone because God is pleased with him. Therefore, he is pleased 